Um, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go one by one. I'm going to interview the moms, and I'm going to just, we're going to have a conversation. You guys get to be in on this conversation today, and I really believe that it's really going to be encouraging and, in, and enlightening to you. So can you guys welcome this panel of moms this morning? All right. Everybody see okay? I'm, I'm going to start with Christy, and, and Melanie, if you'll pass the mic down to Christy, and... Um, I know Mother's Day is very difficult, can be very painful for a lot of different ladies. And um, Christy uh, has a story of, of infertility, of a struggle with having. Of, you have Jarrett now, but it, was just, it, was, it wasn't easy, it wasn't a struggle. And, and so I want her to be able to just kind of share a little bit of her journey and um, what, what was going on in your life. And, it, you know, it breaks my heart. I know that we have ladies in our church today who are not here. And it hurts because of the pain that they're suffering from today. But will you, before I cry, will you address that? Because I don't even know why I'm <laughs> crying, but go ahead. Yeah. Um, it's, Mother's Day can be difficult for a lot of people for a bunch of different reasons. Um, if you struggle with infertility or if you have lost a mother, um, Mother's Day then becomes hard. And so I want to speak from that perspective of not being able to have children and um, so um, I got married to Jason about at the, about age 25 for the first year and a half. We used birth control. We decided we wanted to wait a couple years before having kids. And at that point, we went off birth control. Well, several years of trying to get pregnant and no pregnancies. Um, after about three years, we went to the doctor and started basic testing. I got tested. Jason got tested. If you guys have ever walked through that, they knew that's just part of the standard procedure. Um, through that, I ended up having a couple of surgical procedures because they did find some things that weren't arranged correctly or whatever. And so, um, after, and, and at that point, they referred me to a fertility specialist in St. Louis because the doctors here said they couldn't do anything for me, couldn't do anything further for me. So if you've ever been to a fertility specialist, it's overwhelming because the amount of options, they'll say, well, this procedure starts at $2,000, or you can go up to IVF, which is like $10,000 a treatment. So you walk out way with all these options of, wow, where do I spend my money? How much money do I spend? And I'm still not guaranteed to have a baby. <laughs> and so um, we were really struggling at that point. This was, uh, at this point, we'd been married for about four and a half years. and um, Or no, we'd been trying to have a baby for about four and a half years. And we were trying to decide whether we wanted to invest in fertility treatments or spend our money and um, put it towards adoption. And we were just really wrestling with that and saying, God, what's your direction? And I ended up getting a really bad persistent cough and developing allergies. And through trying to treat all of those, we discovered we were pregnant. Miracle of all miracles. And so um, we feel like Jared is a incredible, incredible blessing. I will say my struggles there didn't end. You know, throughout the entire pregnancy, I thought, am I going to be able to carry this baby to term? You know, is it going to be stillborn? You know, I mean, it just was consumed with worry um, throughout my pregnancy. And literally, um, I was, I remember telling Jason, you know, I was holding my breath and ended up having several hours, almost a full day of um, induced contractions and the baby wasn't progressing. So I ended up going into a C-section and laying in the operating room, and I'm just holding my breath and praying, waiting for that first baby cry. <laughs> you know, and I remember Jason, he talked about, he remembers that. He's like, you know, I, I was waiting for you to breathe because I knew that <laughs> 
you weren't breathing. And so, um, you know, and since then we, so we have now we're celebrating 14 years of marriage in about a week and a half, um, 12 and a half years of those. We have not used any kind of birth control and we've only, it's only resulted in one pregnancy. So since our son Jared's been born, we haven't had any kind of birth control. And so I would love to have a house full of kids. It's just doesn't seem like it's in the cards for me. So, <laughs> so it's still, even though, you know, I, I have struggled and I still struggle. I'd say that because, um, you know, I would love to have more children. Um, it's hard when, you know, you get asked that question. So, um, just want to encourage you to have a sensitivity towards people to not, you know, just assume that they're able to have children and be like, you know, when are you going to have kids? You know, um, the, um, I was reading, i I think I've got about five sermons prepared in my notes because I've got so much information to share. But um, some of the statistics I found said about um, 12% of the female population struggles with infertility, which is about 7.5 million women. And so um, some of the things to do are just to listen, um, just be there. Don't ask about their kids. Try to involve them in activities that don't have children. You know, they may excuse themselves from social activities and you need to understand that you know it's um everybody hands out that piece of advice of um oh just relax and it'll happen you know don't say that to somebody okay (laughs) that's not a great piece of advice so um throughout this i'm going to share with you real quick i mean the bible talks about infertility repeatedly there's i mean abraham and sarah and um several bible characters struggle with it but one story i want to particularly I got, I got to kind of find balance. Um, thank you. (laughs) Um, one story that gives us a lot of, a little bit more insight into this is in first Samuel chapter one, the story of Hannah, where she's praying and she's, uh, you know, she says in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I give him to the Lord for all of his days, and no razor will, will ever be used on his head. Um, it cracks me up because if just like eight verses later, it says, so in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant. You know, like it's such a casual thing, but it's not. Um, but I think this story can teach us something, whether you're, whatever you're struggling with, if you're dealing with something or trying to face something, Hannah's a great example of, she didn't try to solve the problem herself, but instead she pressed into God. And so I would encourage you, if you're, you know, most of you probably are not struggling with infertility, but if you're facing something else where, you know, you're like, God, I'm in anguish and I don't know what to do and I really want you to answer my prayer, I just want to encourage you to press into God because that's the answer, that's the biggest solution rather than trying to handle anything by ourselves. That's good. Thank you. Can you guys thank Christy for that? Isn't that great? It's fantastic. And... And neglected to mention we started, Christy's an office manager here, and I just want to let you know how thankful I am for you and for all that you do. And Hannah is our children's pastor and just does a fantastic job with that, and she owns a preschool that, that rents our kids' wing. And, and so Hannah spends her life right now not only raising three little ones, but also resourcing a lot of moms. Uh, Hannah is a, a professional school teacher. She has her administrative a principal certificate as a preschool children's pastor, resources parents, resources moms, all day long. And so um, I know as you're raising small children, it's different than when I was raising small children 20 years ago. Um, so what is, 
let us let some of us know what's going on with young moms today and what you guys are facing. Okay, so my my kids are eight, six, and seven months. Just kind of put. So I'm like in the throes of craziness, running here and there, living on little sleep, throwing goldfish in the back seat to like you know make it to the next stoplight. So my perspective is kind of the decisions that you make every day to hopefully make it so that your kids get to be 18 and are alive and <laughs> like, you know, serve the Lord. But it, and it kind of seems funny, but when you're going through those mental struggles every day, it can be very overwhelming as a mom. Um, you know, with my first one, I dealt with some postpartum depression and just having those ideals of what I wanted um, my life to be like once I had a child. Jeff and I had been married for about four years once we had Joa. And so we had, you know, been just a couple for a while. And I, I had great ideals of, of what I wanted motherhood to look like. And it didn't look like that for me. Um, and so moving on from that. And then Jana, they're not quite two years apart. And so that was quite a surprise for us. And um, so then having two under two and living with just diapers and then everything from whether you're going to breastfeed to bottle feed or if you're going to send your children to public school or private school or homeschool, whether you're going to stay home with your children, if you're going to feed them all organic food or you're just going to let the MSG fly, like you just have decision after decision. And you have other people, other mothers, and I feel like other mothers are really good about giving advice and giving their opinions and it's not always warranted and it's not always positive. So I kind of dealt with people being like, oh, you know, don't ever let your child sleep on his tummy because it's just sure death, you know, or whatever it is. I mean, there's just always advice to be given. And so if I can say anything to mothers and (laughs) I'm thinking, gosh, I hope I have not done this to somebody because you get in your own little world of like, this works for me. And let me tell you all about it because it works, sister. Like you got to wrap that baby and get some sleep, you know? (laughs) Um, but if I can say anything to mothers, it's just to be encouraging to one another. It's if somebody else makes a different decision than you do about how to educate their child, that's okay. If they need to be a certain way in their discipline, that's okay. Like encourage one another, lift each other up as a mom. You don't have to be the like perfectly looking, put together, your workout routine is on point and you have a Starbucks cup and a scarf on. Like, it's okay to be a mess sometimes. It's good. It's good. I want to read. I want to read something. Oh, Hannah I, was, I was supposed to be kind of biblical, right? You, well, okay, can I, let me, can let I me share read this? Because I really did have something prepared. You, you, I was going to read that thing that you sent me. Can I read oh, okay. that first? Yeah, then I really do have something. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. So this is what Hannah, Hannah sent me this a few weeks ago. It says, how to be a mom in 2017. Make sure your children's academic, emotional, psychological, mental, spiritual, physical, nutritional, and social needs are met while being careful not to overstimulate, understimulate, improperly medicate, helicopter, or neglect them in a screen-free, process-free, HGMO-free, negative energy-free, plastic-free, body-positive, socially conscious, egalitarian, but also authoritative, nurturing but fostering of independence, but but gently not be overly permissive, pesticide-free, two-story, multilingual home, preferably in a cul-de-sac 
with a backyard, 1.5 siblings, spaced at least two years apart for proper development. Also, don't forget the coconut oil. (laughs) So that's how to be a mom in 2017. And then the next line says, how to be a mom in literally every other generation before ours? Feed them sometimes. So I think that's what Hannah's trying to say is that that's the current parental. And I think social media, like I think social media creates all kinds of unrealistic images and expectations and all different kinds of things. In fact, I mean, there's clear statistics that the amount of time that's spent on social media uh, can be tracked to levels of depression. And the more social media, the more depressed a person often is. And so. Yeah, because people don't post their real life pictures, I don't think. (laughs) I don't. Their, their lives are a lot cleaner and happier and messier, or not mess, as messy as mine. Um, I was thinking, though, while I was reading this week, I'm kind of going through the book of John, and Jesus, it's the story about Jesus with the uh, guy who's blind, and he puts mud on his eyes, but it's on the Sabbath, right? So there's all these things wrong in the Pharisees. I'm like, those Pharisees are like those other mothers that do everything right. And Jesus is like, come here, you got something. Let me get some mud, like... And the other moms are like, it's the Sabbath. You really should not. <laughs> so that was. <laughs> that's good. That'll preach right there. <laughs> oh, that's good. That is contextual insight from a mother into the life and ministry of Jesus. You should write a commentary, Hannah. <laughs> moms on Jesus. I'm serious. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, this is Melanie Wilkie. Melanie um, is our outreach director here at Grace, and she's uh, leading our initiative over at Weller and just doing a fantastic job uh, helping to see transformation in that neighborhood and has such a, a heart for the hurting, um, for the disenfranchised. And, and Melanie has a, has a great story. Melanie uh, was a single mom for a number of years, and I have a special place in my heart for single moms because I was raised by a single mom. And so I know a little bit from a kid's perspective of what you've gone through as a mom. And, uh, and will you share a little bit um, with us, maybe a little bit of your journey and your perspective? All right. Sure, I will. <laughs> I have a back pocket full of them, for the record. It's funny because when you start looking back at seasons that you've walked, and you really have the opportunity to think about what that has created, in your life and how that shaped you and what you do. And it can be pretty overwhelming in the best way, really. Um, Pastor Jay mentioned I was a single mom for three years. I have two <laughs> amazing boys. They're 12 and 14. They're really awesome kids. And I'm just here to tell you that they're not awesome because of me. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with how gracious and kind and redeeming the Father God that we serve is. And I'm so, so, so thankful. So I look back at a season of my life that was very stressful and overwhelming, um, and I'm just so grateful, like immensely grateful. And to be honest with you, I wouldn't trade any of it because um, it's given me such a heart for the lost and the broken. Um, I know what it's like to live a very fractured life. I get that. Like, I've been there and done that. And um, the Lord has just had the opportunity to teach me core concepts about forgiveness 
and dependence on his love and on his wisdom and um, trust and stewardship. So when my boys were tiny, tiny, um, the Lord really started speaking to me about stewardship of my children and, and giving them tools. Because as a parent, I think we always want our children to be protected and safe and, you know, we just don't want anything bad to happen to our babies. But the reality is that this world is very broken and bad things happen to our babies. Like they go into schools and they struggle with watching their friends decompress or, you know, maybe their own types of depression or whatever it is that they face every day. And that's real. This is a real deal. And um, I had no idea when he started speaking to me about giving the boys tools what that would mean for them and for me even because um, we can't be there for everything. We're not going to be there for every second. We can't hold their hand enough. We can't be close enough all the time to give them that direction. And so we are dependent as mothers and as parents on the Lord God Almighty to keep our children when we cannot. And there are a lot of times as I share custody of the boys that they're not with me. And I miss them terribly, but I pray for them. And I pray for them when they're home, obviously. But I'm just saying they're not mine. They belong to my God. They belong to my Father. And he's so rich and so full and so strong and mighty to save. And his hand is not so short that it cannot save. And if my boys struggle, he's there. And it's my responsibility as their mother to um, teach them the power of the word, the power of God's love for them, and the power of walking in the spirit and being full of the spirit and asking him for help and seeking his ways. So, boy, the Lord's been good to us. He has been so, so, so good to us. And we've struggled, and, you know, I've had to learn how forgiveness is such a key element to how our family works, um, that it's, I can, I've seen in very profound ways the destruction that comes from unforgiveness, whether it's from me to someone else or from that person to me or from others who look at my life, you know, and don't think it looks right. Well, I need to forgive them because they just don't know. Isn't that what Jesus said? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And then they, if the Lord so is able to move in their lives, will forgive me for not being perfect either. And I've been shown tremendous amounts of grace in my life and in my walk as a single mom. So it's scary and it's overwhelming, but my God is bigger, and I learned that. And I learned how to uh, you know, honor the time that I have when the boys aren't around and how to manage the expectations and all that stuff. So I guess uh, Pastor Jay asked me if I had a scripture. I think almost always, (laughs) right, we have a scripture. But I really go back to Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones, because that picture of, like, broken, scattered, disjointed bones, dry and dead, has been a season I've lived. (laughs) And when the Lord speaks... Those bones come back together again, and sinews are created, and flesh is put back on, and skin covers the wounds, and a strong army is built up, and um, just the awesome might of our great Redeemer 
he is so mighty, so capable, and his love is so deep and rich, and there's nothing that I can do to separate myself from his great and powerful love, nor my boys. And so I am grateful for the wisdom he's given me to raise them. I'm grateful for the strength he gave me when I didn't have any. And um, just amazed at the heart that he gives me out of that to love people where they're at. Because that's what we need to do. And as believers, if you're, you know, if you're a traditional family and you're walking with somebody who is not, then just love them. Like Jesus loved. What a concept, right? So... I just praise God for his goodness, and I hope that we all have that deep heart to share his love because it makes all the difference in the world. So, Hey, Melanie, I have a question for you. Yes. So what's it like for a single parent when they walk into a church? Awkward. Can you unpack that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, you know, my first days as a single parent, I, I knew my kids needed to be in church, and I needed to be there, and I've always been in service somewhere. So I knew that I had to be plugged in, but I would literally, I picked a really, really big church and, um, I would serve in the kids department in the cafe. I would sit in the back row. And as soon as service was over, I was out because I didn't fit in. And, um, you don't want to have to explain the trauma that you've been through. You don't want to have to explain how the last church that, you know, you were part of ostracized you because of your new marital status. So, um, it is difficult. It's, it's crushing, to be honest with you, to have people treat you that way. But um, it's such an opportunity for the Lord to uh, restore and redeem out of brokenness. So what, what can we do that would create an environment where single parents would feel welcome and empowered and strengthened and resourced as a church? Well, I really believe that um, being a good listener... And just availability, to be honest with you. It's, you know, it's super uncomfortable. As we work in outreach, too, people will tell you that it's very awkward and uncomfortable to work with people who aren't like you. Um, it's difficult to work with even people who are maybe a traditional family, but socioeconomically are completely different than you. Um, and it takes effort. Um, and it takes not a lack of judgment from the Holy Spirit by any means. We need the wisdom of the Lord. But it really takes the love of Jesus to overcome those boundaries because that person is worth it. And that's the deal. That's Jesus said, I am worth it. You are worth it. He came because he wants us to know the value of who we are. And I think that just ascribing value to every person, especially when they don't look like you or they don't live like you, is a powerful reminder of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it makes a huge impact in this world. So I don't want to be too nebulous or kind of out there, but I'm just saying, ask the Lord for wisdom. He will answer you. If you're a Holy Spirit-led person and you ask him, he will help you to know what to do and to say. So be spirit-led, and um, don't allow fear. Fear-based decisions are the worst, right? Because they stop, they stop the good that God has in store. If I'm too afraid to talk to you, then God had a plan. He had a cool thing he was going to do, and I was too scared, so I didn't do it. And that didn't happen in his best way. So I'm just saying be careful to not allow fear to overwhelm and change your mind about how you treat a person.
or interact with them? I'll jump. I'll piggyback on that a little bit. I know as a as a kid with a single parent, I think one of the biggest things we can do is just invite people into our lives. That's right. Just invite them in. Don't assume that they wouldn't want to be a part of that. And so invite people in. And then I know even for me, um, it seems so simple, but I just had some guys in our church who took me to movies, like guy movies where people were killed and died. (laughs) (laughs) It was awesome because my mom didn't like those kind of movies. But seriously, I mean, that was a big deal for a young man to be able to be at those, be able to see those kind of movies. And, uh, you know, like Rocky or different, you know, just... You know, that was a big deal when I was a kid. And I had somebody take me to see the Rocky movies and stuff. And so um, those kinds of things, I think we don't, I think we underestimate the value of just small things that we can do. Just things that seem like nothing, but they're huge. And it usually involves including and bringing people in. I completely agree. Don't assume. And Christy said it and Hannah was touching on it too. We, We don't know until we follow the Lord and see what he has. So obey the little things, obedience to the spirit and the tiniest things are the most powerful things in the world. It's awesome. If you'll pass the mic to, to Darlene. Uh, So I have a, yeah, let's give it up for Melanie. I know as a pastor, I'm not supposed to have favorites, but Darlene is one of my favorites. And I just acknowledge that and confess that to everybody. Uh, she was my secretary for a number of years when we first came here and was just a right-hand person and helped me and Heather so much. And I'm just, I love you and Daryl so much and so thankful for you guys. And um, so we needed some perspective up here, Darlene. And so we asked you to come up here and to help us with some perspective. Um, so I am now a parent of adult children. And as difficult as it was parenting young children, I have discovered that Parenting adult children has its own set of challenges. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) And so you parent adult children. And sometimes when we're parenting our adult children, they don't make decisions that we feel like are best. And I can no longer, um, you know, bend them over my knee because we used to do that when I had young children, you know. Um, We can't do that. I can't, you know, they're adults um, making their own decisions. Uh, Can you help us? How do you process parenting adult children who don't always make decisions that you think are best or that you approve of? Sorry for the easy question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I remember when uh, I have two children. I have a a son, um, and uh, two years, nine months later, I had a daughter. So I have have two. And when my daughter uh, graduated from high school, she went with an organization called Teen Mania. It's a Christian organization, and it's, it's like Youth with a Mission, if you're familiar with that, and, uh, you know, to learn outreach and all that kind of thing. And then she was with them for about a year and came home. And I remember at the dinner table, uh, we finished dinner, and I uh, looked down, and uh, I said to her, you haven't eaten your vegetables. And she said to me, Mother. (laughs) And that night when I was talking to the Lord, I got a very clear message. He said, I'll tell her to eat her vegetables. (laughs) That I was out of a job. In that, that short sentence, I realized 
I had for 21 years been raising children. You know, just two, but I was 21 years. And I was out of work. You know, I was done. Uh, out of a job. <laughs> and the re- relationship completely changes. And it, um, uh, we've, we've got to know that it's changing. Uh, the best advice I've ever heard uh, was maybe it was 25 years ago. I was listening to the radio, and um, I was listening to, um, it was Franklin Graham. He was speaking at a youth conference. I think it was the Urbana Youth Conference. And he was speaking to the parents. And he said, don't ever, uh, don't ever t- uh, take the credit for your children's successes. And don't ever take the blame for their failures. And for some reason, through all these years, I never even wrote that down. I never forgot that. And uh, through the years, you know, it didn't make a lot of sense to me then. But through the years, I could see the reason why he said that. If you take credit for your child's successes, then you really have identified yourself, well, what do I say? You're almost codependent. They are individuals, and you have to be proud of them for what they have achieved and the decisions they have made and how they got where they are. And and never never forget that never forget that pride that you that uh, you can it's okay to be proud, <laughs> but it's not okay to take the credit. And then conversely, when your children don't follow the way you feel you have raised them, when you disagree with their, their your adult children's decisions, and even and this even goes back to maybe even into the teens because they. You, you've, you've pretty much lost control by 13, I think, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, they can come and go places where you told them never to go, and, and you know, et cetera. So but you, have to, you have to let them take the consequences. And, but you are still not helpless. Can I say that? Uh, my son's lifestyle is not what I wanted it to be. But one, the only thing that God has ever told me regarding his lifestyle is unconditional love. He's never given me advice in any other way but unconditional love. And um, this, the reason why you don't blame yourself, you know, it's, it's the first place that I think a parent goes when you see a child go wrong, or at least what you think is wrong. When you see that, <clears throat> you, you start uh, self-analyzing, you know, trying to look at what you did wrong, etc. And that's just the road the enemy wants you to take because he can bring you down into despair and self-condemnation, and self-pity, and he, he, that's just where he wants you because you become um, impotent. You, you have lost your power, and God gives us tremendous power in the heavenlies. When you're a parent, you have power and you have authority in the heavenlies 
to deal with the situation you see your adult or even your younger child in. And, and if you just wallow in self-pity, you miss that completely. And that's why the enemy wants to drag, drag you down. Now, I don't know whose fault it was, I, I, but you just don't go there. You don't go down that avenue. You don't let him take you down that avenue. And then you put, you know, then you put on your big boy hat or your big girl hat and you, and you get into the book of Ephesians. <laughs> it's in, put on your armor. Put on the armor of God. Put on your helmet of salvation, that breastplate of righteousness, that belt of truth. You put it on. And you get ready to fight. You know, in, in my younger Christian days, I was, scared of, I was scared of the devil. And my plan was to stay out of his way. <laughs> you know, I'll just stay out of his way and he won't know I'm there. <laughs> I had a boss like that one time. He was the, he was the president of the company. And a girl, uh, one of the girls said to me, uh, why don't you try to, for his, to be his secretary? You know, try for that job. And I says, no, I just don't even want him to know I exist. <laughs> and, and she said to me, oh, he knows you exist. <laughs> and I ended up the CEO secretary. <laughs> but, uh, um, but it's the same with the enemy. You've you, you got to be ready to fight. You have to be ready to fight. And you've got two tremendous weapons. And one is unconditional love. Unconditional love. That is, no matter what path they've taken, no matter how hard they are to reach, unconditional love. And then the second one is the Word of God. And the best place, I think another, I mean, one of the best places, there's many places in Scripture to go, but the best, some of the, the, the best prayers is to look for those prayers that were, where. Um, where the writer is praying over the church. And so go stay in the book of Ephesians because some of the most wonderful prayers over the church uh, are made by Paul in that. <clears throat> and then take your child's name and insert them right in that prayer and pray that over them. And th there is nothing the enemy can do against that. You have rendered him hopeless and helpless uh, and uh, and can I say this? When you fight with the enemy, you know, it's a fight. So don't be surprised if you end up with a few bruises, you know. But hey, it's worth it. <laughs> it's even fun. <laughs> you know? Can you guys thank our panel? Haven't they just been fantastic? Wow. Thank you, guys. Before we... Good. Pass it back to before we end. Darlene, would you pray over the moms and grandmas here today? Okay. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your mercy, for your kindness to us, Lord God. We thank you because you are so faithful. So, you're the God who is always there, the God who sees, and the God who is always there. And Lord, we just thank you for your mercy to us as individuals. And we thank you so much, Lord, for those mothers that are out here, Lord, that, that uh, are bringing up the next generation, Lord, to know you and to follow you and to serve you, Lord God. 
So we pray, Lord, that you will strengthen them, Lord, that you will give them that backbone, Lord God, that we need to stand up to the enemy, to stand up to a world system that, that, that will gobble up their children, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, because you are faithful and that we can turn to you for anything. And Lord, we just ask that anointing, Lord, that there is a special apparent anointing, Lord, and we just pray for that to to surround us, Lord, in the, in the darkest and deepest and saddest hours of our lives, God. We just ask that you will pour into us all the light and all that knowledge and all the strength that is needed, because we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Can you guys thank the Lord and our panel one more time? Thank you. Marty, can you help me? Uh, fantastic.